It's Monday. It's audio podcast time. Woo! Audio podcast. Hey, it's like a silly theme tune there. I just made up awesome stuff. I like that a lot. This is a show number 43, which is entitled New Toys. And we have a lot of new toys for you today. It's Nam time. That means new toys time. New toys. Yeah, that's right. Uh, today's show is recorded January the 23rd. Um, and we'll be out probably, well, as soon as possible once we've recorded it, I guess. So that's cool. Shall we get straight into it? Yep, let's hit it. Awesome stuff. So as, as you alluded to, the vast majority of stuff is uh, Nam releases over the last week. We hope you enjoyed uh, last week's unusual show, actually. But from this point on, it should be more normal. So that's a... Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? I like well, that we have normal shows. More normal. We do have some uh, some more live events coming up, though, but we're not going to talk about them. Oh, we got some interviews coming up as well, but we're not going to talk about them either. How about that? That's pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. Anyway, though, uh, our first one here is the uh, GLD range of um, Allen and Heath mixers have been released. These are the uh, reduced-sized iLive systems, um, which is just kind of bringing digital uh, digital snake technology into the uh, you know in, into the kind of lower end stuff so rather than it always being at the very top end of stuff we're now down in this lower end range um gives so you how a, far into the lower end is it going um the smallest setup you can get is actually four mic ins with just a very base level box connect connected across to it so um, oh, that's pretty cool it, it is i'm saying it's great to see this stuff getting all the way down to this bottom end because the obviously cat5 ethernet is everywhere now so you know, I mean, for anybody who's kind of doing conferency sort of stuff or even working a kind of, you could imagine a sort of cafe venue sort of thing where they're going to have Cat5 linking up their Ethernet, their kind of Wi-Fi in place already. So just kind of cannibalizing it for this sort of purpose, you know, and there's no Wi-Fi while the band's on is, you know, that probably works out well for everybody involved in the situation. And it makes it much easier to have a, a safer install, uh, health and safety aware based install, not to mention probably a lot more stable than the classic Here's a you know, here's an analog snake that's been in for uh, ten years. And by the way, channels five, six don't work. Seven's a little bit yeah. dodgy, and return B's mainly broken. There's a rat of You know what I mean? It's a, a classic studio spares that's been there for a couple of years, and it's you know, it's dying slowly, sort of thing. So. So tell me a bit more about Cat Five because I'm not very. I haven't used Cat Five audio before. I know it exists. I know it's out there. Are we saying that? You can just use you can just use Cat5 to run your connections. So you could just use your built-in wall connections, stuff like that. Or do you need a dedicated Cat5 cable that's running from the mixer to the stage? The vast majority of this, the vast majority of stuff, um, is designed to be run on a on a sole use purpose. But it is the actual physical. So when when we think of it as 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 the net, Cat5 network, we're talking about the actual physical elements of it. So not mm. the so it's the physical connectivity and the cabling in the wall that they're using. Now, yeah. there are some more advanced and developed systems which are actually designed to be kind of IP packet aware and IP packet switched. And in those cases, you can actually route stuff through routers and things like that. But the mm. more the more kind of steps you take through a, a transit, the, the more problematic it gets. And it becomes yeah, a little bit more difficult to do mixing. But those kind of systems are deployed all over the place now in airports, hotels, conference centers for playback of audio. So if you want to play back audio, you can play it back in one place and use a full IP packet system to shift it all around the building. But in this kind of situation, it's very much designed as a single cable that is used for this kind of purpose. Um, Great. I, I guess to clarify, though, when I talk about it being switched, if you're using kind of uh, passive hubs, 
then it, it is perfectly accept it it does work it will work perfectly well if you've got two wall sockets at either end of a room and then down in the kind of routing cupboard you just route them t- together exclusively route them passively together they'll work perfectly fine like that as long as you're not over yeah. overreaching the kind of physical limit of the cable but um yeah so it's a pretty cool technology cool. and obviously you get all the advantages of a digital desk while keeping most of the most of the actual kind of movement up and down digital you get to have your stage box so it's it's really the kind of you know it's it's the nice extension of the digital functionality all the way to the stage box which is you know has a whole load of great uses obviously and it makes and sense to have heath, so. well yeah alan heath i'm saying lots of people are getting into this um alan heath for the first people with these gld stuff you can really see this is a you know it's it, it's still kind of obviously has a significant cost to it but it's you know it's good to see it kind of heading into the bottom end of stuff now and you know i mean it, yeah it's a nice i'm, I'm sitting here right now i've got my my folio notepad beside me my four input folio notepad i'm guessing that the cost of the lowest end gld is going to be the cost of several folio notepads still oh certainly so and the the desk itself is far more capable than you know i mean oh, it's yeah. a full digital desk that you're getting in you're getting in place there as well but I, I think the thing to bear in mind is if you were doing this as like a, um, if you were thinking in terms of installation, then obviously you'd have a far bigger cost in terms of getting the cable installed and all that sort of stuff. So, right. you know, I mean, there's, there's those kind of savings to consider as well, sort of thing. So, but it, it's, it's an interesting, you know, I, I think it's a cool piece of kit and it's built as an expandable system. So you can start with the base kind of, and then add in more IO as you need it for, for the purposes you want. So I, I think yeah. it's a cool piece of tech. Um, the scalability looks really impressive. Yeah, it is really cool. When we um we we've had a play with an iLive uh, earlier on last year. Wow, it's the year shifted, doesn't it? I think February February March last year we we had a quick look at an iLive at a conference. So it'd be great. Um, rest guys, Alan and Heath, if they can sort us out some access to one of these just to have a little play as well. That would be a fun weekend of play. Yeah, would do. Maybe we can organize to take it out take it out on a job or something. That could be fun. Yeah, cool. Shall we head on? Yeah, let's look at some uh, some blue microphones. Yeah, so uh, blue microphones. They always make cool microphones, don't they? I'm saying that's the... You know, I've never used them. I've never even I've never even held a blue. But they always look cool. That is true. Yeah. It's... Yep. They've got that down. And now they're, you know, they're connecting to iOS devices. They're plugging into iPads. So they're, they're, they're following the looking cool trail. Yeah. Yeah. And th- this... We, we've had this conversation a couple of times and saying the purpose of this, uh, the Spark Digital, which has just been announced, um, its big selling point is the fact you can plug directly into your iOS device, be it an iPhone, iPad, I guess yep. theoretically an iPod Touch, but I know the software side of that stuff tends to lag a little bit more for that device. So Yeah. Maybe not so. Um, it, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? I'm saying, do you, do you ever realistically see yourself turning up to something with a microphone plugged into your iPad and then recording like that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm fine with that. I mean, it would be nicer still if I could get a stereo pair into it, but hmm. that's plausible. I, I guess so. I'm saying the, the matter of the stereo pair is just a, you know, a matter of having the dedicated piece of hardware, I guess. I think my problem is I just think to myself, I'd, I just have a lot of distrust about that kind of, that sort of solution, I think, in terms of sales to a to a customer and you know what I mean? Like if you're going in to do a job, I think people like to see big boxes and you're lugging stuff about. I think it's just part of the reassurance of that. But I guess for recording interviews, it could be cool. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's what's worth remembering is that as more of these devices come out, 
people are more likely to record other stuff. There are whole ranges of things that people would never really bother recording before that are now becoming plausible to record. Yeah. I, particularly with this kind of thing. But that said, the question then becomes, at what point do you need high quality audio recording to do this? If I'm just recording my lectures or something or a talk somebody's giving or something like that, you know, I would just stick my iPhone down and just record it using that. Perfectly capable of recording at that level. So if you're going to be buying a mic like this, you, you've got a high-end mic. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know Blue well. Is it a high-end mic? It's Yeah, you could consider it that. I'm saying we're not talking at the very, very, very top of it. But, yeah. you know, they are good They are good mics. They are they are good kind of condenser-built mics. And they, they have a cost to them. They're not, you know, they're beyond the kind of typical dynamic, well, far beyond yeah. typical dynamic stuff. I mean, you've got to wonder what kind of drain that's going to put on the battery running a condenser mic out of something like an iPad. Yeah, well, that, yeah, I guess so. That's very true. I didn't consider that sort of thing. iPads are particularly. I, iPads have a whole load of battery power in them, I guess, but even then, that's going to drain. You know, pushing 48 volts DC out of it's going to be problematic. Yeah. I guess I can think. And the other question is is simply the question of if you're. I remember my. I'm, I'm still annoyed with my FireWire, my new FireWire cable, that when it plugs into the side of my MacBook Pro, it always feels like it's going to fall out at any minute. It just doesn't feel stable. So if I'm trying to record something with an iPad in one hand and a little blue mic in the other hand, it's just it just doesn't feel stable. Probably fine for a lot of things, and they give you that nice cradle, but I don't know. I, I, I understand your distrust. Yeah. I guess the thing I should say which is interesting about this stuff is um, I was really talked around to it when um, last time we met one of the Sure guys, but... Um, he pointed out to me the fact that by integrating the microphone capsule and the um, ADC converter into the one unit, you get this incredibly well, highly optimized system with kind of, you know, the, the analog electronics and the digital electronics designed to sure. complement each other, which wasn't something I'd really considered before. And retrospectively, I'm kind of, you know, I mean, I'm kind of sold on that as a principle, I guess. Yeah, um, I get you. So that, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I guess the problem with this, the thing that, cons well, I think you're absolutely right, actually. From a consumer point of view, this is, you know, this is probably really interesting and really exciting. And I know that lots of consumers, I have lots of friends who have USB mics because of the simplicity of having a USB, you know, USB mic. They don't have to worry about a sound card. Whereas, like, for the kind of work that we're, we're involved in more often than not, then we are running, you know, we have external sound cards. So, yeah. hence, having the separation between the things is reassuring or it's more flexible. I guess it's... But at the same time, I've also got my Zoom H2 at home that I can use as a sound card if necessary. So yeah. it's, the lines are getting blurred a little, but I completely understand what you mean. Yeah, Yeah. very true. Very true. Cool. Cool. Synthology? Synthology, yeah. So um, I, I guess it's, um, you know, they, they're releasing their newest ivory piano, the Ivory 2 American Concept D. There you go. Now, it's at times like this that I wish I knew a lot more about virtual pianos. The... I've seen a couple of pretty good ones. Well, th this is you just a sample. Um, it, it, it's sample-based here. They've just done a whole lot mm. of recordings. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's the 1951 New York Steinway. It certainly is. Yes, I'm just pulling that straight off the site. I didn't really so have much else to say about that. A sample instrument is all about the detail of the sampling, and not, not even necessarily the recording quality. Obviously, that's going to be good, but how many levels have they sampled to, how many dynamics, all of that kind of thing. Yeah. I'll be honest, I, I thought to myself, this is something we should mention, and then I came mm -hmm. to the conclusion that I didn't want to look. Yeah. That, that my interest was purely in mentioning it. I saw that Imogen Heap was one of the endorsements behind it, though. Woo! So, there you go. Just 
I've been enjoying that like recently. Imogen can stay. Imogen can stay. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah. Shall let's we move talk, on? Yeah, I was going to say let's talk about the uh, 1073. Well, here's two more. Um, some some incredible new pieces of hardware released. Um, Heritage Audio uh, rolling out a 1073. It's um, will fit as a 500 module, uh, which is, you know, I mean, if you're running a big old, if you're running big old kind of fashion modular desks, then here's a great option. Here's a great option for you here. It's um, basically, um, yeah, it's it's just well, a rebuild of the, uh, you know, it's, it's a rebuild I, of a 1073. I'm going to stop you there and say, you've just given me a pile of numbers. What does that mean? <laughs> this is officially outside my range of knowledge. What is a 1073? I mean, I'm looking at the picture. I know what that is, but... It, it's, it's essentially an incredibly high-quality preamp. Uh... Uh, and very high-quality preamp as a, um, you know, I mean, kind of built with, you know, kind of valves. Well, is this a valve-based one? But, you know, it's, it's that kind of niche sort of territory where people are running with their Neve. You know, kind of an old-fashioned, right. big, heavy modular desk. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and and the kind of builds they have here. Um, the 1073 is a, a a preamp module coming preamp module coming out. One that's I, I thought was kind of interesting. And the uh, 2264E is a compressor limiter, but this is a a combination of the old analog the old analog design with a more modern with a more modern preamp stage included inside it, but still rendered with Class A amplifiers rather than ICs. So th this is very boutique and niche, and I like this stuff going by, and I think this is ace. Oh, yeah. At the same point, how many people are dropping, you know, I, I suspect not many of our listeners are dropping almost two, uh, 1,800 euros on a, on well, a compressor. Well, we should find out. With a special launch offer, it's down to 1,295 euros. Oh, so, I didn't spot yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still not rushing out. No. Nope. It's cool uh, boutique stuff. I wanted to mention it because it's cool. Well, it's nice to know that people are, A, building this stuff and, B, buying it. That's good to see. That's very true. Shall we, shall we move on again? Yeah. Let's, um, okay, well, we'll take them in the order they are because that's the order they're in. So uh, good news for those people who have been sharing my pain of how to replace your, your laptop and what should you get next. The Thunderbolt interfaces are turning up slowly. Yeah. There we go. So if you have a... If you if you're missing your FireWire port off your new MacBook, then you know the Thunderbolt options are on their way. Um, obviously, it's at the very high end stuff to start off with. So um, Apogee have uh, the Symphony 64, which is their first option. It should be noted that all it does is provide you the Thunderbolt to Apogee conversion, and then you have to put another box in place. With the rest of the Symphony's systems. We are required. in that glorious time of uh, crossing over between a couple of formats and uh, it's going to be horrible for a year or two, isn't it? Yeah. I, I couldn't find... Oh, wait a minute. Here's the pricing. Three, uh, three, four, nine, five. There you go. That's about what you'd expect. So so it still turns out that if you want to plug a... If you've got a MacBook and you want to plug a FireWire, if you want a proper sound card to plug into and you don't use USB, then the 27-inch uh, cinema display is still the cheapest... Uh, Thunderbolt to Firewire converter that will have some sort of support working behind it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, it's happening there. There were a couple of interesting remarks. I'm trying to think where I saw them. A couple of people, I, I read a couple of reviews and people were talking about how, how how it is going to be a difficult year for kind of professional audio in terms of what do you buy if you need to buy something now, just in terms of looking for long-term support. Firewire is, 
you know, a lot of people are predicting Firewire or 400 and 800 to be gone this by the end of the year, and I'm tempted to probably wow. agree. Well, if you consider yeah. that the, the main place you can buy them is Mac, and they've already got Thunderbolt underway, then, yeah, you know what I mean? It, it makes sense for every revision between now and every, you know, hardware revision that happens will just drop off, you know, Firewire you potentially. Wonder, there must be a lot of behind-the-scenes talk too, you know, but presumably Apple wants Thunderbolt to be taken up as quickly as possible. The more they push Thunderbolt out, that they can they can essentially squash um, the old connection out of the system completely. Just I guess so, but you Thunderbolt will be the only option. But you need the you need the replacement products in place, and they need to be stable and ready to go. I'm saying, yeah. you know, even with something like Apogee, who are a very well respected company and very good, I would still be very nervous of committing you know, any sort of paid work to a revision one product. It's just something I've never, Sure. it's something you only ever do if you really have to. And, you know, I mean, I'd be a bit nervous about, about <laughs> doing that sort of thing. So I guess that's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting, you know, interesting puzzle. It, yeah, I, I guess it, it play out. Yeah. I guess it's the, it's the classic issue of the, uh, you know, of the computing world where they kind of push out things on, on the manufacturer's timetable without really considering the end user in terms of whether they need these things or not, because let's face it, you know, Firewire 400 was perfectly good for audio requirements. Firewire, Firewire 800 exceeded audio requirements. Thunderbolt exceeds audio requirements massively. Even the USB 2 stuff is moderately stable enough. Um, you, you recently got a new Ultralight, didn't you? Have you been using that as Firewire? or Well, you showed us the Firewire. Have you tried it as USB 2 as well? or You know what? I haven't. Uh, but in fairness, I haven't actually got it yet. I'll pick it up tomorrow. Oh. It's still waiting for me in Leeds. It's still waiting for you in Leeds. Oh, no worries. So. It would be but interesting I'll to... Out and I'll report next week. Oh, fair enough. No, that'd be cool. It'd be yeah, interesting to see See what your experiences are between running the running running it either way kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so alongside the Apogee, um, Apollo, uh, well, Universal Audio also announced the Apollo. Um, this isn't quite, um, if my, my understanding of this is correct, I emailed them for some clarification and they didn't reply straight away, but my understanding is that this is shipping as a Firewire device, but has guaranteed Thunderbolt support on the way. So they will be, they, they will be making a hardware card that you can self-install at the back and that will yeah. give you a Thunderbolt port. That's interesting. When it, when they're it's ready they're to go, their so. bases and hedging their bets. Well, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, you know, I mean, it's it, it looks like an interesting place. Software or a hardware problem that they haven't fully developed the software or the hardware. It sounds like I hardware. suspect it's a cost issue. Actually, I think you're going to find that. You no, know, I, I think you might find that the fund, you know, adding Thunderbolt onto this could be a little bit more pricey than you maybe think it's going to be, and yeah. You know what I mean? It it could be, you know, it, you know, I'm saying it could be they just have a whole load of these things and they were ready to ship them and then they didn't manage to get them out the door and then, you know, Thunderbolt turned up and they had to work out where to go next and they've managed to do this adaption. So, you know, they've got this other card coming in. I think it, it's it's yeah. really tricky, isn't it? I, you know, my main feeling is still that Thunderbolt is, you know, Thunderbolt's an interface that maybe isn't needed right now but would be needed in the future but they're maybe being too aggressive in terms of pushing it out while getting the next one in well i guess the the other thing is that the quicker they push it out the quicker they get mass adoption the quicker they can drop firewire from support 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the shorter that their overhang window or overlap window between the two formats is, then you know, it saves them money on internal support and development support and all that kind of thing. I guess so. Yeah. Um, if if we what move on again, oh. the, what else can you say about the Apollo? How does it look as a as an interface? Yeah, competent, C competent and a good option. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. That's from what I can see. Yeah, definitely so. If we move on, um, RME, kind of booking the trend slightly, rolled out the uh, Fireface UCX, which is a USB and a Firewire. Yeah. So. Oh, cool. Old school indeed. If, I, if my memory serves me correctly, yeah, it does, yeah. Um, it's Firewire 400, which just goes to prove that, you know, Firewire oh. 400 is all you need for the job. But um, it's USB 2 with USB 3 compatibility. So you'll be able to run it off... Uh, which makes sense. USB two and USB three are compatible, but that's that's kind of interesting. And in that obviously, that device very clearly demonstrates the fact that everything you can do on Firewire four hundred, you could, you know, what I mean, they feel that yeah, those interfaces absolutely. are compliant, are, are equivalent across each other, and it kind of shows you what what more would you put in that box that you would then opt to use, you know. It's nice to see a tech company not driving forward for the sake of driving forward. I mean, I, I may end up eating those words in two years' time when it becomes really obvious that Thunderbolt was needed, but at the moment, it doesn't appear that way. Mm. But would you, would, you buy, I, I, would you buy this product now? You know what I mean? Like, bearing in mind that... Well, yeah, I'm saying bearing in mind that your Mac is going to be Thunderbolt and Firewire has disappeared already from some and might disappear from more, would... It does seem pretty crazy. Would you go out and buy this? I, I yeah, guess... I, I have to wonder if I would. I, I don't know if I would. But at the same time, surely there will be a Thunderbolt 2 uh, Firewire conversion that will be possible. Yeah. yeah, a cable that will run Firewire into Thunderbolt port. Well, we've been promised that's, that's practical, but then at the same point, if you consider what is the Thunderbolt to Thunderbolt cable is 40 quid, how much do you think the... Uh... Thunderbolt is something else cable is going to be, because surely a little bit more, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I see your reservations. Yeah. The Fireface UCX is, appears to be a combination of the kind of similar Fireface 400s and those sort of army sort of devices. So uh, two kind of preamps on the front, then, you know, another two kind of uh, quarter, quarter, inch, quarter inch TRSs in, another four inputs, and then... Uh, what would be is it six on the back of these with a headphone socket they tend to do? Yeah, something like that, isn't it? Yeah, eight, eight analog ends. Yeah, so they haven't changed much on the design front. It still looks like the old fireplace. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I guess what they're doing is they want to because the Fireface four hundred was always the Firewire device, and then they ran the was it right. was it the U UC four hundred or something they called it? Mm, I don't remember. They had um they had one which had Firewire and USB on the back, and yeah. that was the other one. And they've been slowly moving, and I guess this is a consolidation onto a new, you know, I mean, a a an internal revision sort of thing. So, oh hey, here's a question off from out of nowhere: USB three when it comes out, are we? Is it the same connectors, or they just change the software? It it appears to be the same connector, but it has some additional internal pins. Right. But, uh, but Firewire for uh, USB 2 and USB 3 as USB 1 will all actually be physically uh, physically legacy supporting. So you'll be able to plug a USB 1 device into a USB 3 port and it will work. 
and yeah. you'll be able to get a USB. You know, what I mean, you'll be able to shift them backwards and forwards in the same way. A USB one and USB two were actually identical. A USB three has some extra pins. Some has extra pins going on inside the connection. So, but it's reverse compatible. But it does reverse back down compatible. Um, cool. You know what I mean? In in a way that Firewire four hundred and eight hundred wasn't, but yeah. physically compatible, but nonetheless was. You know what I mean? You could just run Firewire four hundred across an eight hundred quite happily. So, as lots of people did. Is it uh, is it time for us to talk about line six? Yeah, why not? Let's move on. Cool. Cool. So, um, some more digital mixing. Well, some more mixing. We should have put this at the alongside the other one, but at the last minute, I realized that and I'd put the notes up. <laughs> so I thought it would cause chaos if we tried to shift it. So let's not. Yeah, uh, li- so line six have announced the Stagescape M20D, which is um, a 20 input smart mixing system for live sound. But it's a lot more than that, isn't it? I mean, I think, and certainly the way they're pushing it, and certainly what I've read about it, they're pushing this as an entirely new paradigm for live mixing in terms of the interface, which appears to be uh, a reasonable, uh, non-over-the-top argument. I agree entirely. I'm saying they're they're taking the kind of the ability. Well, basically, it's a kind of touchscreen-esque interface, if I'm correct in thinking, with some physical yeah. controllers. You have all the I/O in place. Um, I guess we might eventually get to the point where Mackie did something like this as well, but here they're actually building a dedicated solution rather than it's uh, you know every well, part of it's dedicated and set up to work for this for this area. And they have some auto kind of smart mixing stuff that happens, don't they? In terms of it well, this is what I thought was, was really impressive with this. That the, the new paradigm they're pushing is that instead of it's got a touchscreen, but for, the, for one part, it's a resistive touchscreen, not a capacitive one, so you don't have to risk the my finger accidentally brushes against something and I've turned the singer down or something like that. The, it takes a little bit more effort to move stuff, which is wise and alive. But the other thing that's really game... Well, I hate to use the phrase game-changing. The other thing that's very different is that the, the interface, the touchscreen interface, is not simply a bunch of faders and knobs. The touchscreen interface is that if you want to turn the singer down, you touch the singer. It's a visual representation of the setup. You touch the guitar and that thing gives you all the things that are relevant to the guitar. So instead of you having to remember the singer is plugged into channel six, it's just there right in front of you. All that happens under the hood and you can access it, of course, and you can do all sorts of editing. But the fact that that's taken away from the interface, I think is quite interesting. And probably very different for sound engineers. It's a very different thing to have to work with. Yeah, it, this th- this kind of thing terrifies me. Like if, yeah. if if I was to turn up at a live job and this was what I had, I would be really really unhappy. Just <laughs> just in terms of familiarity. Yeah, sure. If, if not but other you things, know, using it ten times, maybe it turns out that this is this is the way forward. Mm. Maybe. But I guess um, you know, I I consider myself part of the old guard in that I have a very strong preference to analog desks anyway. And the thing I love about analog desks is the ability to glance at the desk and be able to, almost well, to be able to fully comprehend comprehend the front of house mix. Yeah. And then the ability to you know, you know, even even on a smaller, more kind of typical typical desk for a lot of our use a lot of our listeners. You know, be able to glance through an aux and be able to see what the monitor setup is just on that kind of thing. Yeah, and my problem absolutely. with digital desks is, my problem with the normal digital desk is the way they have that kind of compressed all into this thing and you can't glance at it. You have to like flick around and look at it. And then when I look at this kind of thing, it's even worse. I'm saying, 
I wouldn't be able to well, look at some, you know, you can't glance at it and immediately identify the situation well, as it is. Mm, that's debatable, but I mean, without seeing it, maybe there is an indication of things as there is, but it would, it's so different that obviously you would have to completely relearn what you were doing. So I, I, I agree with you. What, what it comes down to, I think, is just that there's anyone coming into the, using this would have to relearn a lot of things and get used to things being in a different place. Yeah. I, I guess um, I have a favorite exercise I do when I have like somebody who I'm working with who, who's assisting me for the first time and stuff on a, on a desk. I always, I always like to drive them to develop like the kind of physical muscle memory fam familiarity that they yeah. can run the desk in near dark, like in darkness. Because my Absolutely. thinking being that if, you know, we might get somewhere late and we might not have there might not be appropriate lighting and stuff and you know well, what I mean? It, it. In the live situation, there often is not appropriate lighting. Well, yeah, exactly. And and the great thing about that kind of thing is that you can have the ability to articulate the desk as you need to while being able to maintain eye contact front of house to be able to yeah. see the response of whoever's paying or if you're trying to do a monitor mix. And I think with, you know, that physical memory is really useful to be able to do that kind of stuff. Whereas with all these kind of, you know, even digital desks have kind of damaged that in some ways, in my opinion, well, certainly some of them have, but I can see this kind of thing here getting even worse in terms of making it even more and more awkward. That's not to say I don't like this kind of, some of this stuff. I'm saying there is something really sweet about being able to, you know, stand beside the bass player and adjust his monitor mix via your iPad. I'm saying that's a really useful, cool piece of kit for, you know, if you're doing a big job and you've got plenty of time to set up and that's awesome, but... You know, I, I really like my kind of here's my fader and its position represents the, yeah. you know, relative, the relative gain. I, I like that kind of thing. But I do think that most of your criticisms come down to a matter of it just being so different from what you know. Yes. It's not, it's not an inherent problem in this new design. It's just that it's different. Yeah. Oh, no. Very true. And I guess the... The thing that exaggerates that even more, if you think of the kind of stability there's been in the analog desk world over the last 50, 10 years, maybe, if not more. Sure. Saying, I remember using, you know, something like a Mackie 1604, which was one of the first desks I learned, I learned on and still, you can still buy it. You know what I mean? I know they've done, they've changed the preamps twice, but you know what I mean? Nonetheless, the fundamental desk is still available and the layout yeah. of it is still available and some of the kind of spirit in Allen and Heath stuff has a similar kind of length of, you know, stability behind it. So I guess that kind of, that entrenchment's happened so much in the analog, analog mixer world, especially, you know, whenever he switched to digital and started really pushing the innovation in that slide, the, you know, the analog desks have kind of sat, not, not so much ignored as just requiring no additional work. So yeah. Every now and again, you get new preamps. Get the price but going up. <laughs> Very true. Shall we move on? Yes, what does that take us on to? Well, we've got our final piece of news. Um, for, well, Sound on Sound, I think it's, you know, I, I guess we, yeah, Sound on Sound is Sound on Sound, aren't they? I'm saying everybody's read Sound on yep. Sound. They pushed out their 2012 awards. Um, so I, I thought it'd be fun to have a look, just, just to have a look. I deliberately didn't look ahead of time, so I thought it'd be, you know, more amusing. Yeah. Okay, let's blam through these. Uh, best computer audio interface from the Sound and Sounds Awards, the Apogee Symphony. Well, I guess if you, yeah. Fair enough. I talked about that. Apogee products, but mm -hmm. there you go. If you're dropping a whole load of money, why not? Fair enough. Ah. Um, 
Bestor software, Avid Pro Tools. Which version do you think that is? Yeah, interesting. Um, hardware processor, uh, Lexicon, uh, Lexicon uh, effects unit. Um, effect, Lexicon effects units are always great. I haven't played with a PCM ninety six. So I don't know. Best software. I'm, I'm bored of reading some of these. Keep. I'm going to find things that interest me here. Best software plugin processing is a Selmini Melodyne editor. We talked about that a few weeks ago, a while ago. Yeah, I think like that's that. hard to beat in terms of big new things that have been changing stuff. That's that's impressive stuff. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's very true. The uh, Zoom yeah, H4n. Uh, the Zoom H4n got in. Got in as well. Yeah, I I never found the H4 to be much better than the H2, but. Maybe it's, maybe I'm not using it up to its full capacity. I found the HP did everything I needed. Fair enough. In terms of preamps, uh, the Focusrite Liquid, uh, Liquid stuff has got in there. Um, they are actually great preamps. I'll take your word on that. Fair enough. I'm just scanning through the rest of these. Scan for Best the rest. headphones. Sennheiser HD 800s. Fair I'll, enough. I'll just run my vote. I dropped to the Allen and Heath GL 2400 as the best live sound product. So. Yeah, once again, if you got the money to drop on it. Oh, they are great, actually, yeah. Really I, I'm going gonna, gonna to throw one more in. I'm glad that they dropped in the Neumann 80, U87 AI as best microphone. That's, that's a tough one to beat. I've been using DPAs all year, and I love the DPAs, but the DPAs are, are, are for very specific tasks for recording, for recording vocals and most instruments. I'm still, I'm still happier with the Neumann. Oh, very cool. Shall we head on to the plunder? As we Blunder it the time! Blunder! How long are we running anyway? Oh, 33 minutes. Oh, we started a little late, so we're not too bad. So, yeah, uh, first. I got a bus yeah. <laughs> Our first item of plunder um, the iNuke Boom. If you didn't see this, these videos last week, then there's loads of them around the place. Yeah. yeah. It's the world's biggest iPod dock, which requires like a forklift truck or something to move around the place. I don't, yeah, why, but there we go. Yeah. So I thought the video was, you know, it was important to link to it just for fun anyway. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, two, other, two other plunder items, though. Um, the BBC have a little kind of um, documentary at the moment available via iPlayer and those kind of stuff. So if you're in the UK, um, for the mixing masterclasses um, at the BBC. So the people who have been doing the live sessions for Radio 1 and Radio 2 um, and have some involvement in kind of the Jules Harlan stuff and that sort of live things, they're talking about how they do it, which... I, it was quite interesting, actually. It, it's kind of as you would expect, and it's you know, it's not going to be satisfactory if you're wanting a whole load of detail. But in terms of this is what it is, it's you know, yeah. That's good. It, it's as good you would expect. Yeah. And the final item, uh, Wired magazine uh, went to the Sure Manufacturing plant to discover what <laughs> sort of stress test they do with their equipment and. As they highlight themselves on their blog, if you do a Google search for um, SM58s and buses, yeah. you'll see buses drive over them and all sorts of weird things happen to them. But this is actually what they do to them to to make sure they're stress test appropriately. And it talks about what they do with some of their other equipment as well. So you see them doing humidity tests on kind of wireless transmitters and stuff, which all that kind I of really thing. admire Sure's Sure having a big push on this at the moment of, of yeah, you know, they're trying trying to turn it into almost a viral meme. How much can we mess up this microphone and have it still work? But it, yeah, it yeah. seems to be working. And you know, God bless them, the mics are good. The the mics are great. Do you remember when we talked about the we had a similar thing from I think it was Mackie, wasn't it? You know, how much abuse can you give a mixer? And they yep. started smashing analog mixers up to see which one would work the longest. <laughs> that was pretty fun as well. But the question is, will it blend? Will it blend? That's yes. 
I'd like to see a 58 blended. That would be pretty funny. I, you need some yeah, serious yeah. blending power, wouldn't you? I think to. Yeah, I think that's industrial blending we require there. Yeah, I think to get all the way through the body, you'd need need some fairly serious stuff. Cool. Awesome, awesome. stuff. I think we've made Is it. All we've got for this week. Yeah, well, we've made it off the end of the plunder, so that must be everything. Don't forget, as always, you can find the show notes at wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Um, Excellent. That, I've been Scott McLaughlin. I'm Scott here. We'll be back next Monday, uh, recorded live at 7 p.m. and in the podcast feed as well, as soon as we get it sorted afterwards. So goodbye, podcast record recording listeners. Good night, podcast recording listeners.